Hello and welcome to Mr. President from otrgold.com. This episode will begin after a brief message from our sponsors. Mr. President, starring Edward Arnold. The American Broadcasting Company and its affiliated stations present Mr. President. Mr. President at home in the White House, the elected leader of our people, our fellow citizen and neighbor. These are little-known stories of the men who've lived in the White House. Dramatic, exciting events in their lives that you and I so rarely hear. True human stories of Mr. President. Edward Arnold as Mr. President. Let's visit him in the White House. It's evening. The old mansion is resting quietly after a busy day. Only one window on the ground floor shows a light. We enter and find ourselves in the President's study. Good evening. Sit down, won't you? Isn't it strange how often the same facts look different to different people and how much trouble can come from it? That's what the president faced in tonight's story, as you'll see later on. Of course, I'll tell you which president it really happened to, but meanwhile, maybe you'll be able to guess. At the time of this story, my secretary of state was a man I'll call Martin Barrows, who never let himself get excited. But one morning, even though he appeared as calm as ever, I knew he was worried. Mr. President, I just received this dispatch from our minister in France. Even without reading it, Martin, I can tell from your face that there's trouble. You'd better read it just the same, sir. Here you are. It's short enough. Uh-huh. The government of France has failed to pay the first installment under 25 million francs due to the United States and the Secretary Treaty of last year. Hmm? And our minister in Paris wants instructions. Mm, they're, <laughs> they're obvious, aren't they? Tell them to make another effort to collect. I don't think that'll do much good, sir. Well, frankly, neither do I. We need something more, don't we? Yes, Congress has been watching this treaty ever since we negotiated it. Senator Johns especially will be very happy to hear there's trouble. Hoping we'll let the treaty lapse? I know. I see more trouble than that, Martin. On one side, Johns and the people who do a lot of trade with France. They oppose the treaty in the first place. They'll criticize any effort we make to enforce it. But we must make every effort. We must establish and maintain a strong foreign policy so that France and every other country will respect American sovereign rights. Well, no matter what we do, we'll be in hot water, sir. Well, what do you think we can do? Delay. Delay? What for? Well, surely France intends to pay. There's no real question about that. But maybe they're having some troubles of their own. If we give them a little time, everything might smooth out. I'm sorry I don't agree with you, Martin. In fact, I've got a different idea. Yes? You send a stiff note to France saying that we insist on being paid promptly that we negotiated the treaty in good faith, and that we can't understand their failure to pay and their failure to explain. I'm afraid that'll only get Senator Johns on the warpath, sir. Man won't collect the money either. Martin, either the French intend to pay or they don't. A few words from us one way or another might not make a great deal of difference to them, but they will show our people that we stand firm in our foreign policy. We must uh, take the lead in this matter. I have no doubt that Johns will object. But he'll be on the defensive. He's not an easy man to put on the defensive, sir, or to keep there. Well, we'll, we can try, can't we? Send that note, Martin. Make it strong. And we'll see if it doesn't get results. (laughs) 
the Senate. The President has seen fit to address a very stiff diplomatic note to France for her failure to pay a few miserable francs on an old debt. I must remind the President, France is not an enemy. She's our best friend in Europe. And she's not some benighted country at the ends of the earth. She's a friendly, civilized nation with which our citizens do a vast trade every year. By what right does the president put this trade in danger? Who is he to ignore the wishes of American citizens and to insist on a treaty which should never have been drawn in the first place? Senate Foreign Affairs Committee, I'm delighted to appear before you to explain the administration attitude toward France. We regard her as our friend, but even friendship calls for firmness. I beg you not to be swayed by the passions that Senator Johns is trying to arouse. Passions, does he say? It's typical of the Secretary of State and of the president whose servant he is, to accuse me of rabble-rousing. But that cannot hide the issue. By what right does the president deliberately make an enemy out of a friend? I call on the people to give him their answer. Yes, please do, Miss Sarah. I, uh, I wanted you to see these letters, Mr. President. Oh, what are they? They're about the French situation, most of them in support of Senator Johns, criticizing you. But there are three I especially wanted you to see. Uh, these three, sir. Also against me? Yes, very much so. Don't leave them on the desk. I'll read them later. I'm sorry, Mr. President. There's one you should read right now. Well, it's been a long day, Miss Sarah, and please... Then you... I'll read it to you. Uh, Mr. President, France is the greatest friend we ever had. Why do you fight with her? Do you want war? I do not want to die in a war against friends. But if you plan to start such a war, it would be better if you died. Either my life or yours, there is no other choice. Well, all right, Miss Sire. Turn that over to the police it's and go... It's not signed, Mr. President, naturally. Then throw it away. What about the other letters? There are two more in different handwritings, but also threatening your life, sir. Oh, I wouldn't worry about it, Miss Sarah. Some people get excited too easily. Yes, I guess I'm one of them. Only I don't think it's too easily. Won't you be careful? Well, I'm always careful, Miss Sarah. Oh, yes. Oh, yes, Miss Sarah. Instead of worrying about that, tell me what to do about the French failure to pay. <laughs> well, they've refused a second time? Why? I don't know. Barrows doesn't know. The French Chamber of Deputies simply doesn't vote the money. Mm. I suppose what Senator John says encourages them to think you won't really do anything. Mm, John's is he at it again? This afternoon, Mr. President. He held the floor of the Senate for over an hour. I'd like to see a copy of his speech. I'll have it for you first thing in the morning. I'll do that, will you? And ask Mr. Martin Barrett to come over at the same time, please. Bad, Martin. I read every word of John's speech yesterday, and when it reaches France, I can just see them deciding that I haven't got Congress behind me. Well, you can tell them that our minister to explain that John's is speaking only for himself. That wouldn't be quite true. There are a lot of people who agree with him. And the trouble is they think this is a simple business. Martin, I think I'll send a special message to Congress about the situation. I'd still advise delay, sir. No, 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 Martin. No more delay. The more the French government feels it can delay, that'll be bad. I prepared the draft of the message, Martin. I'll see how this sounds to you, especially this paragraph. 
I feel bound by my office to report to the Congress that the French failure to pay creates a dangerous situation. Unless payment already overdue is soon received, I shall have to ask Congress to seize all French assets in this country. Another gentleman. Oh, thank you, Miss Sarah. Come in, Senator. Thank you, Mr. President. Oh, will you need me, Mr. President? No, I don't think it is, Sarah. Thank you. Very well. Excuse me, Senator. Well, Senator. Mr. President, may I present my good friend, Henry Pointer? How do you do, Mr. Pointer? No, no, Mr. President. Sit down, gentlemen. Won't you? Of uh, course, sir, you're aware of my opposition to the course you're taking towards France. Very much so, Senator. I'm particularly upset by your message to the House and Senate. Seizing French assets in this country would be a most unfriendly act. Not paying a debt is an unfriendly act, too, Senator. I'm sure the French government has a good reason for not paying, sir. Maybe, but they haven't told us what it is. No matter what it is, sir, I... Mr. President, it occurred to me that you might think my opposition is purely political. Well... Uh, That's why I brought Mr. Pointer with me. He's an important businessman with many connections in France. He's in touch with many banks and merchants that carry on a large trade with France both import and export. I want him to tell you his views. No, I'm delighted. Well, Mr. Pointer? I'm a businessman, Mr. President. I understand nothing about politics. Oh, that's too bad, Mr. Pointer. But I do understand business, sir. And to me, this situation regarding France is nothing but plain arithmetic. (laughs) Mr. Pointer, I'd better tell you I'm not an expert in arithmetic. It's not a difficult subject, sir. (laughs) My business brings me in touch with many firms that do business in France. You know that our annual trade with France far exceeds the amount France owes us under that treaty. Yes, I know that much about arithmetic. When a businessman is confronted by a choice, Mr. President, he tries to take the least expensive one. Naturally. We see that we can't have both our large French trade and the payments under the treaty. So we say... Forgo the treaty payments and let the trade go on. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mr. Pointer, I agree with you that we have a choice, but not the one you say we have. The choice I see is between our government being weak or being strong. Don't you care about that? That's not a fair question, Mr. President. Well, yes, it is, Senator. Mr. Pointer? Of course I want our country to be strong, Mr. President. And she can be strong by means of more foreign trade. Right. Then the only difference of opinion we have, Mr. Point, is in what way do we want her to be strong and respected? Yes. My office binds me to maintain the position of our country in foreign relations. And if I don't, you'll see trouble you never suspected before. Now, let me ask you something else as a businessman. If I let France fail to pay her debt to our government, how long do you think it would be before your private customers in France fail to pay you? Well, we wouldn't permit it, sir. Relations between individuals are different from relations between governments. Uh, Senator Pointer, uh, Mr. Pointer, uh, maybe you'll think I'm old-fashioned, but I, I believe that one trouble with relations between governments is that there are not more relations like that between individuals. I don't see why you expect individual Frenchmen to honor their debts when their government doesn't. Mr. President, that argument is unsound. We're not dealing with theories. We're dealing with a hard fact of international relations. Exactly, Senator. And if it's a hard fact for us, I wanted to make make sure that it's a hard fact for France, too. Have you heard yet, sir, how the French government feels about your threat to seize French property in this country? No, I haven't, Senator. But I'd imagine that our man in Paris, Barton, is at the French Foreign Office today finding out the answer to just that question.
morning, Monsieur Barton. Please to sit down. Thank you, sir. I've it come It is to... a pleasure to see you looking so well, Monsieur Barton. It tells me that you continue to enjoy Paris. I can't help enjoying Paris, sir. May I, I ask you... I have never been to your country, Monsieur, but it gratifies me that so many Americans love Paris and France. It means our countries must always be friends. Of course, sir. Now There I... is a bond between our nations, Monsieur, which nothing must ever be allowed to break. May I ask, sir... Have you a reply for me to our request for payment under the treaty? I have, Monsieur Barton. I regret to say it, but I have. I'm anxious to send it to Washington. Monsieur Barton, last night our Chamber of Deputies passed a bill which set aside enough money to pay the entire amount under the treaty. That's wonderful, sir. That makes me very happy. Uh, contain yourself, Monsieur Barton. That is, there is more to it. The bill forbade us to pay out the money. What? Until your president apologizes to France for his recent message to your Congress. Apologize? Our Chamber of Deputies is very thoughtful. It has even outlined the apology in detail. <clears throat> we will pay the money when the president of the United States is ready to tell us that he regrets the misunderstanding which has arisen. That it was founded on a mistake. That your country never meant to question the good faith of France. Nor to take a menacing attitude toward France. Voilà, monsieur. I don't understand, sir. The original mistake, as you call it, wasn't ours. It was yours, in failing to pay on time and in not explaining the delay. Monsieur Barton, in your country, Congress is the supreme power, is it not? Yes. Here, it is the Chamber of Deputies. You uh, understand, monsieur? Mm-hmm. Uh, tell me... Will your president apologize? I can't answer that, sir. Let me send this reply to Washington. Of course, Monsieur Barton. And now, let us speak again of Paris. It is May, and in May the boulevards are like paradise. Do you have anything like our boulevards in your Washington? Good or bad? Well, at the beginning, most of them were against you. Now the division seems to be about even, but... Yes? There are more letters threatening your life, Oh, sir. throw them away, Miss Sarah. They don't mean anything. Oh, uh, excuse me, Mr. President. Surely. Oh, come in, Mr. Barrows. Thank Mr. You. President, Secretary of State Barrows. Sir. Well, what is it, Martin? I didn't expect you. No, sir, but I knew you'd want to see this reply from Paris. They refuse to pay until you've apologized. Apologized? For what? Uh, look at this part of the reply, sir. <laughs> well, at least they voted the money. Will you apologize, sir? Martin, for heaven's sake, how can I? And what shall I apologize for? Well, it would do two things, sir. It would silence John's, and it would put the money in our treasury where it belongs. It would do a third thing you're forgetting. It would weaken our position all over the world. We'd be apologizing for asking for money that belongs to us. And how about here at home? I'd be offending a great number of Americans. That's cheaper than war, Mr. President. War? Who said anything about war? Well, here's a second dispatch from Barton in Paris. The French naval ministry has ordered its fleet into readiness. On account of a squabble over money? Evidently. Martin, it's hard to understand the French government. They failed to pay. They demanded apology. And they threatened us with force. Now, we certainly can't back down. But, Mr. President, if only... No, Martin, I don't believe they mean it, and it would be worse than ever if we went crawling before an empty threat. I think it's time for another report to Congress. I'm going to ask that money be voted to bring the Navy to full strength. It'll frighten the country, sir. I want you to send new instructions to Barton. Tell him to explain that I can't apologize because we haven't been wrong, but that we have no hostile intentions. 
Tell them to insist they pay up. But suppose they don't, sir. Then tell Barton to come home. Recall him. Yes, recall him, Martin. So we can have a full report from him. Now, would you like to help me prepare my message to Congress? Prepare the Navy? Recall our representative from France? Those steps are uncalled for. They can only lead to one thing, and that is war. Shall we go to war because another friendly nation owes us a small amount of money? I say that every loyal American will resist this dangerous proposal with every power within his command. Senator Jones. Oh, hello, Mr. Poyner. I heard your speech, Senator. It was magnificent. Those things needed to be said. Well, I'm afraid mere words won't do much good. Well, maybe not. Isn't there any way the president can be stopped? Not when half the country follows him and really believes our national honor is at stake. But the other half doesn't believe that. And nobody wants war just on account of a debt. Well, they don't realize it may come to war. Unless they believe my speech today. And if they don't? I don't know. Senator, nobody wants war. Now, if in your speeches you can show that the president is personally responsible for this grave situation, I think the rest of the people will come over to our side. President, for reasons of his own, is trying to embroil our nation in a war. And what is the issue? A little money. Yet the president offends a friendly nation. He treats her like a dishonest beggar. Has he lost his mind? What kind of man have we in the White House? I ask you, is he fit to guide our destinies when he tries to drag us into a war nobody wants? I say to you, he is not... Secretary Barrows to see you. Oh, what is it, Martin? You've heard how Senator Johns is talking about war. Yes, yes. Well, he's blaming you personally. Well, that's all right. It is my responsibility. As if you wanted war for its own sake. Uh, excuse me, Mr. President, but you're expected at the funeral of Congressman Ennis. Oh, yes, yes, sir. Martin, come along with me. We'll talk things over on, on the way out and back. Are you ready, Miss Sarah? presidential party are in the front. Do you want me to take your cane now? Sir? No, I'll keep it, Miss Sorrow. Thank you. This way, Martin. Mm -hmm. All right, sir. Mr. President! Mr. President, wait. What's the matter, Miss Sarah? Well, that man over there. Who is he? Oh, never mind. Miss Sarah gets alarmed at anything. But he's behaving strangely. I, I think Look perhaps... Look out, he... Mr. President! You're taking us into war! Then you should be the first Why, to die! Put that gun down! You're going to die, Mr. President! Mr. President! Put that gun down, you fool! Drop that gun! You won't get away! And you won't get another chance! Drop that gun! No! Get back! I drop the gun! Oh! Oh! Mr. President, are you all right? Yes, yes, of course, Miss Sarah. Oh, lucky his gun misfired. <laughs> it's lucky, Mike. I had my cane with me. Do you know that man, Mr. President? I never saw him oh, before. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, ladies and gentlemen, just a moment, please. Uh, please be calm. 
There's been no harm done, and the prisoner's already been taken away. Please be calm, ladies and gentlemen. Mr. President, if I have anything to say about it, you're going to have guards with you from now on, day and night. Well, if you insist, Miss Sarah. Miss Sarah's right, sir. You can't be at the mercy of any maniac who might get near you. Maniac, Martin? I'm afraid I don't agree with you. What? Quite honestly, I think that assassination attempt was part of a plot. Feelings have risen so high over the French situation. Plot, Mr. President? Well, who could be back of it? I know who encouraged it. Johns? Pointer? Yes. Of course, I don't mean they actually hired that poor fool to fire at me. But the kind of speeches John has been making is more than enough to inflame unthinking people. I'm sure the police will discover some kind of conspiracy. Oh, that's dreadful, Mr. President. It's not important in itself, Miss Sarah. The point is how to quiet Senator Johns and the the rest of them. And how to prevent this thing from actually carrying us into a war nobody wants. Mr. President, there's always the possibility of apologizing to the French government. Martin, why can't I make you see how impossible that is? Again, I'm not thinking of myself. I'm thinking of the impression the whole incident creates among other governments. Well, I expect we'll have word soon that Barton will be on his way home from Paris. Frankly, Martin, I don't see a thing we can do until we get Barton's confidential report. We've just got to wait till he gets here. Gentlemen of the Senate, I deplore the attempt on the life of the President. And I wish to propose a bill... A bill for the permanent cancellation of our treaty with France. Put an end to our efforts to collect this money. Or if we don't, more lives may be at stake. Mr. President, if Johns keeps this up, we'll never persuade France that we really insist on being paid. I have no way of shutting him up, Martin. He has every right to talk. We've got to wait for Barton. Well, then we'll see if there's anything we can do. President, Mr. Barton. Come in, Mr. Barton. We're mighty glad to see you. How do you do, sir? How do you do, Mr. Barrow? Hello, Barton. I hope you have some good news for us. Mr. President, just before I left Paris, I had a long, unofficial talk with the foreign minister. He says the French government is anxious to make the full payments under the treaty, but they're trapped by public opinion. In what way? When the treaty was negotiated, there were some groups in France that opposed it, and ever since... They fastened on any excuse they could find to make trouble. Martin, that's just what that's happened to us. Mr. Barton, did the French foreign minister have any suggestions? No, sir. He only wanted you to understand that the government is helpless at the moment. If they pay the money without some official satisfaction from us, they'll be thrown out of office. Bad, isn't it? Yes, we'll just have to find some way of giving them that official satisfaction. If we crawl now, our prestige abroad wouldn't be worth a penny. And I've been thinking of another approach that might get us all out of this trouble. The French would be very grateful, sir. Martin, do you think the British government would offer to mediate? Mediate? How? I think both we and the French could agree to abide by any decision the British arrive at. They have nothing to lose or gain either way, and that means we'll get a perfectly fair decision. It'll save us from being pushed into war by hotheads in France and here. I don't know, sir. I'm sure the French would accept the idea, sir. Martin, will you ask the British ambassador? Well, of course, sir, but I am not very hopeful. Well, have you got any better ideas, Martin? Senator Johns. Oh, Miss Sarah. 
What is it? Are you free to come to the White House, sir? Now? Well, I'm just about to deliver a speech on the floor of the Senate, Miss Sarah. Well, the President's very anxious to see you, Senator, before you make that speech. Well, I don't It'll know. It'll only I... take a few minutes, Senator. The President won't keep you long. All right, Miss Sarah. I'll be right over. <laughs> Sit down, Senator. I hope I didn't inconvenience you. I've postponed my speech, Mr. President. I haven't canceled it. Well, maybe you will, though, after I've told you one or two things. For example, sir? First, I want to apologize to you. Why? When that fellow tried to shoot me, I was convinced it was a delivered plot. On my part? I bitterly resent that, sir. No, no, not on your part, but the result of the inflammatory speeches you've been making. I was wrong. And I want to admit it to you. Well, that's very handsome of you, sir, but how do you know you were wrong? Well, a number of physicians uh, examined the man and pronounced him insane, the poor fellow. He believes he's the heir to the British throne. Oh. Mm-hmm. Well, sir, you may count yourself lucky his gun misfire. But uh, I'd better admit that I was guilty of some plotting against you. No. Yes. What? In the bill I proposed to cancel our treaty with France. And I'm not going to give up that idea. Well, let me tell you the second thing I want you to know. The British are going to mediate our quarrel with France, and already the French government has agreed to abide by the decision, whatever it is. Mm. And so have we. You know what the decision will be, don't you? I, uh, I assume it will be that France must pay. And she will. We know that much. Senator, both of us have what we want. I've protected our international prestige, and our trade with France will be on a firmer ground than ever before. This is a happier result than I expected in the beginning, Mr. President. (laughs) Well, frankly, I thought it would turn out this way. (laughs) Well, uh, I'll be getting back to the Senate now, sir. To cancel your speech? Uh, Not entirely, sir. I'll simply change the subject matter. I see. May I announce the news you've just told me? Oh, of course, Senator. Thank you for coming very much. Good day, (laughs) sir. Good day, Senator. Good day, Senator John. Miss Sarah. Mr. President, sir. Did it turn out all right? Oh, fine, Miss Sarah. You know, I don't like Senator Johns, and he doesn't like me. But if he ever leaves the Senate, I'm going to miss him. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think I would, Mr. President. You see, it's easy sitting in this room and in this chair to think you're always right. Every president needs a man like Johns to remind him there might be two ways of looking at a thing. Um, Mr. President, I wish you'd remember that sometimes when... I make a suggestion. Oh, I will, Miss Sarah. I will. On condition you agree, I'm always right. (laughs) All right, Mr. President. (laughs) Except when I'm wrong, Miss Sarah. That's fair enough. (laughs) Well, have you guessed which president this story was about? The time was 1835. And Andrew Jackson lived in the White House then as Mr. President. It's quite true that for a brief while the United States and France faced the danger of war. And then an attempt was made on President Jackson's life. Jackson himself helped to overcome the would-be assassin, who was later found to be insane. And Martin Barrows, the Secretary of State in tonight's story, was in reality Martin Van Buren, who later became President. Come and see me again next week, won't you? I'll have another story for you about the White House and Mr. President. I'm sure you'll enjoy. Good night.
Edward Arnold appears as Mr. President by arrangement with Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer. Producers of Sinclair Lewis cast Timberlane, starring Ben Spencer Tracy, Lana Turner, and Zachary Scott. Mr. President is presented each week by the American Broadcasting Company. It is produced by Robert G. Jennings and directed by Dwight Hauser. Miss Sarah was played by Betty Lou Gerson. Tonight's story by Paul R. Milton was suggested by incidents in the administration of President Andrew Jackson. Music was composed and conducted by Basil Adler. Sure to listen again next week when Edward Arnold brings you another story of Mr. President. Now, here's a special program note. Tomorrow night, hear Corpus Delecti, the baffling sheriff show mystery about a murder and the strange disappearance of the body. That's the sheriff show tomorrow night. This is ABC, the American Broadcasting Company. <laughs>